Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I'll share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. You gotta win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in, I'm Doug Gottlieb, and you have downloaded, hopefully subscribed, and rated, write a review for All Ball. Reminder, the Doug Gottlieb Show is daily, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com, the iHeartRadio app, or you can download it as a podcast, just like you did this one. Uh, All Ball, as I think most of you know who continue to download it, and the numbers are obscene, and we really appreciate it. All ball is a place where you know generally we keep it a basketball. I've done we've done football. I I encourage you to look through the archives. T.J. Hushpanzato was amazing, amazing. He shared with us his story. Um, but you know, in addition to sometimes commentary about basketball and specific things going on, you know, like Rutgers upsetting. Purdue at the buzzer and a half court shot that doesn't really dissuade me from thinking Purdue's a final four team um, or, you know, Gonzaga and their dominance over UCLA, their losses to Alabama and the loss to Duke again, doesn't dissuade me does though get put some caution in it. Uh, you know, you look at how Duke has looked for the most part. Like I think we see the gathering and, and we'll see, we'll know more about Butler. We'll know more about Arizona here in the coming weeks. So, the the thing is this, um, this podcast is not just reserved for any one thing, but what I do like to incorporate is long form interviews with people that have, everybody has a story, right? Get their story. 
And sometimes you get really colorful stories and colorful backgrounds. If you're a hoop guy and you hear the name Max Good, you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I know Max Good. You're like, what is your... What is your impression of him? What what does his name bring to mind? Of course, he was twice the interim coach, interim head coach in college, UNLV and LMU, and have taken over at at Loyola Marymount. Um, both times for Billy Baino, by the way. He's extremely close with Baino. There's a lot that goes into how he became Baino's assistant. He was also head coach once upon a time at Eastern Kentucky University. And of course, the longtime head coach at Maine Central Institute, which is, at least when he was there, an incredible prep school program in Maine, his home state, which is where he joins us from. Uh, I am going to put this out there, okay? If you're driving for the holidays and you download this podcast, this is one to keep the earbuds in. Um, I, we, we don't put any sort of boundaries on guests. This is a, uh, safe zone, if you will. And by his own accounts, <laughs> he's inappropriate. But what you're going to find in this first part of my Max Good interview is uh, he, he's amazing personality. He's just enjoyable to listen to. And he does, he gives zero F's at all. For what anyone in society thinks, he just has strong opinions based upon a lifetime built around basketball. So without further ado, the legendary coach, Max Good. Max, um, man, it's been quite a journey for you in basketball. You're, you grew up where? In, in, like where, where? Where? Gardner, Maine is just outside of Augusta, the state capital. So what was what was basketball like for you as a kid? Well, I, I was a decent high school player. I averaged 16, 17 a game, but that was in Maine, you know, and it was it totally different. Although, ironically, there's a kid in, in Maine this year that's ranked in the top uh, six players in the country, and he's just a freshman. Cooper really? Flag. Oh, no, he's terrific. Yeah. Um, so, like, look, I spent a lot of time in Maine, so I, I understand, like, what it's like. And, and you and I were discussing that Portland likes to describe itself as North Boston. But uh, we're talking uh, we're talking 65 years ago or so. What was basketball like? What was your basketball life like? The rest of us, we could go down and that was back when kids play pickup ball. Right. Um, for you, like, what was it like? Was it? you in a rec center was it you with your dad like wh where was it that you're back because you clearly love this game you made a life out of this game uh where was that formed well the Celtic. i lived in i actually grew up in holton maine which is about 10 miles from the canadian border and the celtics used to tour through there through little small uh, bergs in, in, in uh, Maine and New England. And the Celtics came to town, and I'd never seen any black athletes ever. And, of course, Bill Russell came and, and Sam Jones and uh, Casey Jones and those guys. And so I saw them play, and I absolutely fell in love with basketball the first time I saw them. And uh, I just, you know, I said, this is – Somehow or another, I got to find a way to be associated with this the rest of my life. So you play in high school, and then mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you decide what you're going to do in college? 
Well, I went to Transylvania for one year, and Transylvania is a very good academic school, and I managed to take every elective my first year and had a 2.0. I liked college. I hated school, and I surely wasn't going to let college get in the way of my education. But I end up, my brother went to uh, Eastern Kentucky University on a golf scholarship, and I visited him, and so I, I went there. And, and finished. So what, what was it like to, to grow up in Maine and end up here in Eastern Kentucky? Now, one thing about Maine, and I think all of New England that people don't realize is there's plenty of it's country, it's redneck, it's, it, it's just, it's a different accent, but there's, it's actually probably a lot like Kentucky or, or am I wrong? Like what was, no, no, what was that? Know, it's ironic. You said that because some, uh, political person said that there's no two states further apart that are more closely aligned than Kentucky and Maine. I thought it was very ironic. Now we're talking Maine north of Augusta. Augusta right. South is a little more, you know, a little more sophisticated. In other words, people from Augusta South voted for uh, Biden. They don't vote for Trump. And if I'm letting my true feelings be known, so be it. Yeah. You know. So people will ask me if so-and-so uh, voted for Trump, and I'll say, oh, no, they graduated from elementary school. So they would have. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know what your political feelings are, but I'm not afraid to let anybody know what mine are. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. That's, that's an incredible line. Um, hey, so, one I made up. I'm not very original, but I made that one up myself. That, was, that one's really good. I graduated from elementary school. So you uh, – so you're you're in Eastern Kentucky. You played Eastern Kentucky. Yes. No, I didn't play at Eastern Kentucky. I played at Transylvania. Who'd you play for? Uh, uh, Lee Rose. What was, C. What was that? C.M. Newton and Lee Rose. Oh, C.M. Newton. That's two amazing. Good, yeah, two pretty good people. Yeah. Uh, and I played baseball and we actually went 15 and one. And uh, I was probably a better. Well, I wasn't probably. I was I was uh, small, but I was also slow. You know, <laughs> two, two things. That, and that isn't original. I got that from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so so why didn't you play at Eastern? Wasn't good enough. OK. So you're just a regular student. Did you? Well, were you I, yeah, were you- I was a regular student and I became. Uh, this is the reason I picked Eastern Kentucky. Now, this tells you how much faith I put in education. I listened to the state tournament and Kaywood Ledford of the, did the Kentucky games, did the state tournament. And I listened to that in Maine. I listened to it on WHAS. And he was saying if he were to integrate at Kentucky, the player he would take would be Bobby Washington, who was a guard at Dunbar. And Joe Hamilton was on the team, and both of those guys are six feet and under and played in the NBA or played professional basketball. So I, I, I was thinking about going to Western Kentucky, but I wanted to see Bobby Washington play basketball. That's why I picked them to go to school. That's a good valid reason, isn't it, for seeking sure. education? Sure, why not? Yeah. But, uh, so you go there. Are you, are you involved in the basketball program at all? You know, I <laughs> – I used to sneak into practice, and Guy Strong was an extreme. Ta- he actually, Guy coached at Oklahoma State at one time, but he was uh, very, very strict. And I, I go and practice, and uh, 
because I got close with Bobby Washington and Tote Coleman and Garfield Smith, who played for the Celtics, and uh, Willie Woods. And I, I would I'd go up in the bleachers and I would hide and watch practice. He, uh, he saw me up there one day and he said to the assistant, Jack Hissom, he said, who in the hell is that up there? He said, coach, he knows more about our team than we do. And he said, well, you have that son of a bitch come over and see me. So I came over and saw him, and he told me, you know, I, I told him I'd love to do anything. He said, so he wanted me keeping stats in practice. And I had the ability. Now, I can't remember my phone number today is obvious how I got on this podcast. But I could watch eight transitions, and I could recall after eight transitions or the next stop and play, I could remember every turnover, every steal, every gain, every assist, you know, every, you know, all that stuff. I had a gift for doing that. Well, I certainly don't today. So you do that for three years? Uh, two or three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You get done, you get done with college. Yeah. What, what was your plan? Well, I went to Madison. I coached down at Madison High School, which was down the hill. We had a, there were 110 students there, and I eventually became the head coach at Madison High because if Eastern was playing, they weren't practicing. Consequently, I'd go down to the high school and watch them practice every day. When I said I love basketball, it was beyond love. You know, I'm speaking euphemistically when I say love. I had an unbelievable passion for it just to – you know, be around it. And they had, they were, had 110 students and they beat every when When I went there, we beat every team in Lexington, all of whom had, you know, 2,500 more students. We had 52 boys and 58 girls. But out of that 52 boys, we had the right seven or eight. You know, it was an inner city school. And, and uh, the first seven years I coached, I never had a white player because there weren't any there. And, so what, what what was that? What was that like, though? You're you're a guy who grew up, as you pointed out, you'd never seen black athletes except when the Celtics came to town in Maine. Now you're at Eastern Kentucky and you're in Kentucky. You're a white guy coaching a black athlete. What, what was what was that experience like for you? How did you how did you how did you bridge the gap? Oh, it, it came very easily, really. As a person from Maine. Sometimes growing up in Maine, you feel a little self-conscious or you don't have greatest confidence. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of treated like an outlier, so to speak. Well, I was determined to overcome that, you know, and I got along extremely well with those kids from the first day I was ever with them without patronizing them. The thing that was amazing was how hard I got on them how they responded and respected it. You know, I mean, I was, I, I had an assistant that worked with me that showed his wife or had his wife listen to when uh, Knight got after uh, Purdue. And he said to her, what do you think of that? She said, oh, that's outlandish. Well, he said, Coach Good's about times that 10, you know. <laughs> And, and I, I took it as a compliment, but it's amazing. To this day, I get calls from former players daily. And the ones I got on the hardest are the ones that I got, you know, that I get the most uh, respect or, or connection with. Why do you think, why do you think we're in this era? And it's interesting. So I'm, I'm coaching youth kids and I have parents who push back and I'm not, 
I don't crush them. You know, you just, it's, it's obviously different, but I do, I will get onto them far harder than most coaches will. And for the most part, my, I have parents are like, that's what they need, but you have a good portion of people that, you know, they, that's not how they believe their child should be coached. Right. These are middle school kids. No, they don't want them to be coached. They want them to be pampered. They want you to rub baby oil and baby powder in their ass every night. But I, I, I don't I don't understand why. Like, again, what you're saying is accurate. The coaches who get on you, teach you, grind you, those are the ones who resonate the most. So that now we're all adults. You would think we would want that for our kid, you know, especially if as long as you're fair. Right. That's that's really it's it's the coaches that aren't fair. They just you're on a kid for no reason or you're on a kid trying to make them quit. But if you're fair in terms of like, hey, man, how many times have I told you to box? Like I've literally told you to box out 50 times. I'm tired of hearing myself think, you know, and or calling or telling kids when they're playing soft because they are playing soft. Um, I I don't understand. why, Why do you think we've gotten to that point? You're just your personal perspective, having lived through these various generations. Well, I think every generation of man gets a little softer anyway. And I think there's a natural inclination to do that. And parents aren't really concerned about the team. They're concerned about their child. And they're not realistic. And it used to be, Doug, where parents took head took care of kids. I think we're in an age now, especially with the, uh, you know, with the, the, uh, the, the really talented ones where they expect the kids to take care of the parents. They're looking for that golden horseshoe and, and they want somebody that's going to, you know, hit it big. And of course, for everyone that hits it big, we know the stats are a hundred that don't. And uh, I think some parents resent the fact that they can get on their own child and their child doesn't respond very well, but the coach gets on them and they do respond to the coach. And I think there's some natural resentment there. And I never, I never, I never fucked with parents. I would tell them that uh, I'll talk to your, I'll talk to you about your son's academic or social program progress at any time, but basketball's off limits. You know, uh, Hugh Durham, who I really admired when he was at Florida State, he went into Florida State. You know, they become uh, they become all black almost overnight. And people on his own press row were pulling against him. And yet they reached heights that they never had before. And he would have a he would have kind of a meeting with parents and fans before the season. He'd bring out a whiteboard I well probably a blackboard or a green board at that time but a whiteboard and he'd say all right here's my players deploy them in a 2-2-1 defense and give me their responsibilities and then conversely show me how you would beat that how you would counter that and of course they'd sit there and like in the seventh grade when you were in class and you didn't know the answer you're ducking behind the person in front of you because you didn't want to be called on it make the very cogent point that you don't really know what the hell you're talking about. You know, you're not knowledgeable enough. I'll talk to you about these things, but I can't talk to you about basketball because we're not on the same wavelength. Well, that didn't endear to them anymore, but I think they would start keeping their distance. You know, I just, I, I, I parents mean well, but you know, it's just, just like, 
Alonzo Ball's dad. Yeah. Hell, the kid just now has learned to shoot with the ball off his right shoulder, not off his left shoulder. You know, and, and he had him all those years, and now he's preaching about his other son who, you know, was averaging about eight points a game in the G League, thinking he he said, I sent Charlotte a gem and and uh, you know, he should be, you know, he should be up with the varsities in the G League now. And I don't mean to, you know, demean them because overall I guess you could say he's done a reasonably good job with those kids, because they, you know, the two of them have been highly productive. But Everybody thinks they know basketball. Nobody would walk in a doctor's or a lawyer's office and profess to know what they're doing because they've never practiced doctoring or lawyering. But they 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 have played enough. You know, some of them have played fifth fifth grade uh, intramural, so they think that puts them at the top of the list. You know, it's funny. It's funny. They they wouldn't walk into a doctor's office. They wouldn't walk oh, in never. Never. They would cower and run. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, 
your, your coaching, uh, what was next? At, what, at, when did you get out of Kentucky? Well, I went to, I, I ended up being the head coach at Eastern Kentucky. And ironically, I've had 19 different players that I've associated with that have played, made the NBA. But the best player I ever had there was a kid at Eastern Kentucky who's more talented than all of them. And he didn't play in the NBA because he was very laid back, unbelievably talented, came down to Eastern Kentucky, Illinois and Cincinnati, and he chose us. The weekend he came to visit, we, the girls state tournament was there. So we put him in the dorm with my manager and his manager had gerbils and snakes in the room. The next day I take him to breakfast at McDonald's. Then I leave at noon to go watch Kentucky Louisville in that landmark game in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I said, Tony, the kid's name was Tony Paris. He averaged 21 points a game as a freshman. You know, he had 34 against Auburn, uh, 29 against Memphis State, uh, 25 the second half against Louisville. In this day and age, guess what he probably would do after his freshman year at Eastern Kentucky. But I said, I said, Tony, how can you turn us down? I put you in the Richmond Zoo. I feed you at fucking McDonald's. And I'm saying, fuck you. I don't care enough about you. I'm going to watch Louisville and Kentucky play. He looked at me and he grinned. He said, Coach Eastern, I mean, uh, McDonald's is my favorite restaurant. I said, well, we're golden. I get a call Sunday night. He commits to us. Now, he visited Illinois and Cincinnati. And ironically, we played Illinois uh, uh, in his sophomore year. We played in their tournament. And they had the, they had four black kids and they, you know, Welch. And, and I mean, they, they were really good. And they had one white kid that was a great defender, about a 6'4 kid. Well, Tony got 34 against him. You know, he gave him 34. And he couldn't guard him in a phone booth, let alone out on the floor. Should have been an NBA player, but he... I ran into John Lawyer. John Lawyer was assistant at Akron with Huggins. And I saw him out at LMU and I asked him in front of my assistants. I said, John, how good, how talented is Tony Paris? He said, NBA superstar, good. He was 6'1 and had to have eight stitches taken in his head because he followed up a rebound once and hit his head on those loops that hold the nets and, and, and scratched, you know, put a cut in his head. I've never seen anybody more talented than he is ever. He did things that were Jordan. Like his hang time was maybe even better than Jordan's. I know that sounds crazy. And by the way, I don't think it's even close with Jordan and LeBron. You know, I think Jordan's the best that's ever played. His competitive nature separates him from all these people. Kobe was really, you know, was was the other night the Celtics are, and I go off. I digress all the time. I can't help myself. But the the other night uh, LeBron's playing and they're getting beat badly, and uh, they show him on the bench and he's sitting there grinning. And I said. Can you ever, I sent a tweet out, can you ever imagine Michael Jordan getting beat by 20 and sitting on the bench grinning? Or better yet, can you ever see Michael Jordan let J.J. Barea, who I had tremendous respect for, hold him eight points? Well, hell, he'd dunk Barea and the ball ball and see which hit the ground first. You know, Jordan is a psychopath, but I mean that as a compliment. Sure, no question. Yeah. I talked to Tom Konchalski about him. He said he came to their camp and he said, nicest kid in the world till you threw the ball up. 
And he said he was just, you know, just crazy competitive. He'd never seen anything like him. I said, who's better, him or LeBron? He said, oh, from the neck down, probably LeBron because he's bigger and stronger, although he's not nearly as fluid as Jordan. I don't think he has his footwork. And people think I'm crapping on LeBron when I say, you know, he's a top five player. Hell, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, Max, Max, you nailed something right there that I've, I've dealt with ever since I've, I've covered basketball, which is t- saying somebody's a top five player in the history of the game is an incredible compliment. It may not be if you think you're the greatest ever, but remember, we're putting you in the air of Bill Russell and, I mean, heck, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson somehow have disappeared from this debate. You know, I was, a, I was I'm old enough to know, but you're, you are alive as the prime of your, your basketball existence. Like, they were basketball. Larry Bird and Michael Jordan I mean, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, were they were basketball. That's it. It was every year waiting for those two to play in the finals, and they were just better than everybody else. And while, well, you, you know, I mean, that, that's, 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 that's my feeling about it. And that, and that was also the golden era of the NBA. Oh, Jordan said people didn't have a clue how good Larry Bird was. Said, try guarding his ass. And, and I made this up, and somebody caught it because I said Larry Bird was probably – uh, a step slow and two steps ahead, right. you know, because because of his savvy. And I saw him play in the high school, Indiana, Kentucky All-Star game. He played a minute and 20, 29 seconds, quit, didn't play the second game. He, you know, he went to he didn't just go to Indiana State. He went to Rolls-Hulman for a while. But he, you know, he he perfected his craft playing against prisoners at the state prison in, in uh, French Lick. He became tougher. You know, Larry Bird is a bitch, and uh, I mean, he's, he's he's really good. And uh, LeBron anointed himself as the best player a few years ago. And Jordan, you know, whether he was being sincere or not, he said that's disrespectful to Wilt and 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 Russell and, and those guys. And he said, I would never say that. Well, I'll say it for him. You watch films of Jordan's footwork and his ability to hang and, and, and you know, his development as a mid-range post player. And, you know, he, he toyed with people. He toyed with people. I mean, he, to me, he's not even, it's not even close. He's the best player that ever played. That's me. Uh, and everybody's welcome to their opinion, and mine's probably wrong, but I know damn well it's right. Why, why did it end at Eastern Kentucky? Why did it end? Yes. You know, listen to this. We had a president, and he's dead now, and I'm not terribly sad about that. But he came in, and he wanted he wanted me to cheat. And, Doug, I'm not going to try to be, you know, what's the word? Uh, uh, I mean, holier than thou and act like Yeah, holier than thou. I've never cheated anywhere I've been. Don't believe in it. I'm not going to start at the 40-yard line and run a guy in the end zone and, be, you know, go on a 60-yard run, beat him, and say I beat somebody. Uh, that, you haven't beat anybody. You've about cheated them. And I wouldn't cheat. There's no way I could coach the kids I did and the way I did and cheat. They'd be holding that over my head. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't have lasted a, a day. Let me tell you what. Now, my wife is right here. I'll tell you what ended my career coaching AAU here. My grandson was in the eighth grade at the time. He threw the ball away in a game. I called timeout. 
I said, listen here, you little motherfucker. You throw the ball away again. I'm going to break your fucking jaw. Now, he was an eighth grader. Now, you know, now that, that you know, that, that there's no way that's acceptable. No way. And on the way home, my wife let me uh, not so kindly said my coaching career was over. You know, I'm all through coaching. And, uh, you know, that kid calls me three times a week, you know, because he, he's tough. He wants to go to West Point and they'll be screwing up if they don't take him. I'm not talking as a basketball player, as a human being, and as a tough kid. And a, I mean, he goes on political marches he did when he was in the eighth grade. But just, you know, my wife's waving at me because I digress on get, get off on these tangents. How long is this show? Does it go to two this afternoon? Yeah, whenever, whenever you want. We, 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 this is, I, I, want, I, want to, I want to get through uh, Maine and get to Vegas and get to Loyola Marymount and get to Thoughts Now. So you're, you're allowed to digress. That's what this is. It's just kind well, of free. I, went, I, went, I, I coached, I went to MCI from Eastern. Well, let me back up. Okay. At Eastern Kentucky, we were the only team in the league that made the final four, four straight years in our league to go to the conference tournament. And yet we won 19 one year in 18. That's the most they'd won in back-to-back seasons in 40 years. And we were playing a pretty steady diet of West Virginia's and, and Cincinnati's and Memphis States and Tennessee. And I believe that I, I thought we could recruit a little better player if we played against those kind of teams. Well, and we only had two non I mean, two guarantee games. Now a lot of teams will play four. Well, the big difference between two and four, you know, you, you can take an 18 win season and turn that into 22 with those games. But anyway, the president wanted me to cheat. And the AD told me that. I said, I'm not doing it. I said, there's no way I'm doing that. I said, you, you need to get somebody else in. Well, they proceeded to get somebody else. So I go to MCI and we had way better talent at MCI than we did at Eastern Kentucky. Okay, so, so this is 1989. You come yeah. back home to Maine. Now you hadn't been there in 20 years. Right. Okay. How did how did MCI become the place? Was was MCI a basketball factory before you got there? A little bit, but they didn't have a lot of discipline. And I don't like to disparage. And again, that's what, what people told me. And I don't like to rely on what people tell me. They said the coach would, you know, he'd get a lead and then he'd start sucking on a lollipop or something. Literally, it was his red Auerbach cigar, you know, and, and the. We, we be one year we had Demar Johnson and Karan Butler. Now those are two pretty good players for a prep school team. Tom Konchalski said the two prep school teams the last two years I was there. Another hey my last year we had Eric Barkley, Kevin Braswell, Bobby Smith, three point guards. One went to Villanova, one went to Georgetown, one one went to St. John's. All three started in the Big East as freshmen. That's how much talent we had. And how'd you, get, how, how'd you get, how did you get kids to come to prep school and play for you and get motherfucked in Maine? You know what? He, he, well, Skip to my Lou uh, was supposed to come. And I told him, you're not coming to Maine. Stand on the street corner and swing dope. I scared the shit out of La, Lamar Odom. Uh, he, he was supposed to come. He didn't show up. I called him. I'm at a Clippers game years later, and he saw me and came over. He said, the worst mistake I ever made was not coming to MCI. And uh, because people had told him that, you know, he would never 
he would never last there. Trevor Diggs, who I had at UNLV, was supposed to come and he wouldn't come. And Trevor told me he had a stuttering problem, which endeared him to many people because he would always show up to post-game post uh, interviews. And he, he'd say he came in, he could, and I'm not making fun of him. I love hey. Trevor Diggs. He said, Coach, I, they, they, they told me they wanted me to come to MC. He said, I can't go up there and play for that crazy motherfucker. He said, he said, I, 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 I guess I got no choice now. I said, no, you damn sure don't. But if you don't start playing better defense, you won't be playing for me either. Well, his last game in college, he had 49 points against Wyoming, who won the league. Now, that year, we couldn't go to the, you know, from UNLV when I took over. And Billy Baino got railroaded, I think, to this day. I don't think he should have, you know, gotten let go. But we we beat Wyoming twice that year. It's the only two losses they had in the conference. We beat them at their place. We beat them at our place. And they had two pros on their team, you know. And and uh, the, the year before I got there, they had Tyrone Nesby, Keon Clark, and Sean Marion won 17 games. The next year, we won 25. And didn't have, you know, well, we had Casper Scambala. Yeah, well, I, we played against both. I played against both those teams, both in Vegas, by the way. Hey, so. you let me tell you how I you were my scout the second year. I said, we're going to guard the shit out of Doug Gottlieb till he passes it. Then we're going to drop off because he'll never touch the ball again a second time in the possession. Was I accurate? You're accurate. Yep. And I know the year before you had a Buku's uh, assist. Let me tell you something. I saw you play at Laguna Beach on that half court. <laughs> and I said, I don't know that I've ever seen a bigger prick play basketball or night. God damn <laughs> You were cocky and talking shit, and they couldn't do anything with you. And you weren't doing it scoring. You were doing it with defense, toughness, and passing. Oh, I, I I was fascinated watching you play. I said, God damn, that guy's an asshole, but in a good way. <laughs> Pat, Patrick Beverly's a prick. Marcus yes. Smart's an asshole. Yes. And they, they, they got on him because he jumped on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Well, he had to. Nobody else had nuts enough to say anything to him. You know, they, they tiptoe through the tulips. Like, you know, they look like a, a Shetland ponies at a stud farm. And Marcus Smart jumped their ass, and justifiably so. Uh, people in Boston don't like Marcus Smart that much. Are they nuts? Cut him loose and see how many teams in the NBA will take him. Now, they might say, you know, you're not going to shoot these crazy-ass threes that he has on, on time right. to time. But shit. Marcus Smart will win games for you. And uh, I had a pro scout tell me that Marcus Smart, he saw him one night in the game, Jalen Brown and Marquise Morris, and Tatum got in an argument, and Smart was in the game. He got off the bench and threatened to whip all three of them's ass right there. He said, I'll whip all three of you fuckers right here in front of God and everybody. They said, I said, what happened? He said, they got correct. <laughs> you know, I love Marcus Smart. And, you know, he went to Oklahoma State, but – he, uh, no, but th those are the type of guys. I mean, we talk about, I talk about this all the time with people. It's like, you know, TJ McConnell and, 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 and Delhi and all these guys that are, you know, undersized. Like, you're not making the NBA unless you're a bad motherfucker. Unless you're the, you. you have to be the absolute toughest dude, 
you know, in two states if you want to make it. And then I make it in the NBA, make it in college. Like, you know. It's funny you mentioned J.J. McConnell. Uh, Baron Davis is on one night and they ask him about J.J. McConnell. They show T.J. T.J. McConnell. Well, T.J. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a J.J. here in Maine who coaches an A.M. team. Hell, I can't separate the two of them. One's in Indiana. Uh, is is McConnell still in Indiana, or is he? Yeah, yeah, he 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 just got hurt. He's out for the year. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, he he picks up full court. The only one he takes a charge in back court. You know, he he cuts off penetration, forces a pass, forces a turnover. And Baron Davis says, "I'm not impressed with that. Anybody can do that." Well, that's the damn point. Anybody can, but anybody won't. Well, in all in all honesty, and look, Baron Davis was probably the most talented point guard out of California in the last 25 years. Right. But the reason he's not in the hall of fame is right there. <laughs> you know, that's it. Hey, I tweeted about that. I said, yeah, a lot of people more can. I don't think anybody can do that. It's not that easy to take a charge guarding a guy full court. I mean, you know, you, you got to make them change direction and, and, uh, and there's you got to have good anticipatory skills, good footwork and toughness. Uh, when people say all it takes is you, you just got to hustle to play defense, that sells defense so short. That's not true, you know. And and uh, but I said, yeah, that's exactly the point. T.J. McConnell or is it J.J. again? Is it T.J. or J.J.? It's T.J. 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 McConnell, J.J. Barea, but they oh. might and, and they're they're different in the J.J.'s a score, but it's the same in that they're they're. They're unbelievably tough and Thank smart, you. and and their will and their will is is just greater than other people. That's it. That's You're, my, that's that's people, your point. Doug, people will pick an all star team and say, "Well, I want Will Chamberlain, and I want Jordan, and I want you know." And they'll pick five all stars. I say, "Who in the hell is going to give up shots? Who's going to run the team? Who's going to get their ass back on defense?" Jason Tatum is so talented, but about a third of the time, he does, every time he gets touched or breathed on, he throws his arms up, runs at the referee, veers off, and doesn't get back on defense, and they lay it in on the other end. Well, that's my thing with, with Jason Tatum is, you know, he wants to be Kobe Bryant. Does he understand that Kobe Bryant was no. a hardcore defender? No. And the type of tough competitor that no. that that the world has rarely seen, like just because you can get the ball and go one on one and score, and some of your moves look like Kobe's moves, that ain't it, dude. That's well, that's, that's his strength and that's his weakness. You know, he thinks he can take. The, you know, last night they they got beaten a game they should have won. Hell, the Clippers don't have George or don't have Kawhi Leonard, and I love Kawhi Leonard when he's healthy. I used to argue I thought he was as good a player as there was in the NBA. And I agree. Said, well, he's a great two-way player. I said, Shh. that's why somebody said Tom Brady's the greatest football player ever. Really? Does he play a defense? In baseball and, and, uh, and basketball, you got to play defense. Tom Brady might be the greatest quarterback, although I don't think he's as talented as, as, as Rodgers. But – you can't take away how much he's won, but to say he's better than Lawrence Taylor, please, you know, I mean, he's a, and people get upset. Well, it's not good enough. He's named the greatest quarterback. He's got to be the greatest player ever. Well, did his pay grade go up another 10 million? Because we can say that about him. 
I don't know. I get I get upset very easily. I sometimes I'll sign off. I said it's time for this grouchy old bitch to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> We're not ready for that yet. Okay, so how did Billy get you to leave Maine Central? You kind of had your own fiefdom, right? Yeah, our last two years there, Tom Konchalski said we had the best prep school team ever, ever. He said, because we had talent, plus we played harder than everybody else. I can't speak to that. We had great talent. I'll let somebody else judge how hard we played. I know this. Those fuckers played harder. They didn't play. But anyway, he, uh, I, I, Billy talked, and I'd been there 10 years at, at MCI. The first mm-hmm. year I was there, Leonard Hamilton brought me to Florida State. Or was it Miami? Miami, I guess it was. Yeah. And I got off the plane. It was 90 degrees and at 90% humidity at 10 o'clock at night. I said, there's no way. I can live with the snow. We got three inches of snow on the ground here in Maine from yesterday. But I can live with that more than I can extreme heat and humidity. But anyway, I, uh, I'd i been there 10 years and we hadn't had a wreck and we're driving the vans and uh, – we, we lose at St. Thomas Moreland. I'm, ju- I'm doing a pretty good job of trying to convince you I'm not quite all there. Well, we play at St. Thomas Moreland. We make one of our last five free throws, and they beat us by one. We throw, And I didn't feed them. If we got beat at MCI, they didn't eat after the game. I didn't give a damn if we were in New Orleans. We'd drive back from there, and we weren't ever at New Orleans. I'd roll down the windows and turn the air conditioning off. So I, I, I think it's the same cold and I didn't need either, you know, and I'll tell you what, they learned to win games that they wouldn't have by not feeding them after a loss, which you can't get away with that and probably shouldn't, but no, I guess I got to remove the probably you absolutely shouldn't. I'll substitute absolutely for, for probably, but, but I know this. Those kids tell me all the time. Mike Boyd went to West Virginia. He said, Coach, we won at least five games. We wouldn't have if we'd, if we'd have gotten to eat after a loss. You know? <laughs> so, and that's, so, I didn't so, eat. So, I didn't eat. So. so, so how did Billy convince you to go to Vegas? Well, I'd been there 10 years and we hadn't had a wreck in the vans. And I'm driving the vans. And you got to understand, I probably drove them 62 and if we got beat, which, we, you know, our record is 290 and 25, and we played the vast majority of our games on the road, and we didn't have the same officials. You know, you go to St. Thomas More, you'd get the St. Thomas More officials. They didn't reciprocate. They wouldn't play us at our place, and I love Jerry Quinn. think he should be in the Hall of Fame. Great coach, great person. Couldn't stand him. Uh, we coached together in Indiana, and I'm going I'm to get back on what you said. He's roaming with me, and he comes in, and he's got wide wheel cordrays on, Birkenstocks, and some of those big, thick gray socks with red tops. Takes his pants off, and he hasn't got any drawers on. I said, my man. <laughs> and I immediately started really liking him. I love him today, and we're very close. You know, through Tom Konchalski, who's a saint. Tom Konchalski's uh, you know, I, I would talk to him for a half hour. And when I got through with him, I felt more whole and more decent. And just by talking, just through osmosis of talking to him. Well, I got a good friend in Kentucky, a coach. He said, well, if he makes you feel more whole, you need to call him every half hour. He said, you could use that. Boost. But Billy, you know, we I, I was afraid we were going to have a wreck. The, the odds were against us, you know. 
because I would drive 90 miles an hour back home. I'd be so mad, you know, and they wouldn't talk. Hey, we lost it. We played down at Fletcher Eric's tournament. We got beat at the bus. We had a kid hit a shot to put us up four, and uh, and he came in, and the referees got together, and they came running. I said, oh, this isn't going to be. He said, Coach, we got him with a foul before he hit the basket. They looked up at the scoreboard. Well, hell, so now all of a sudden we're up two, and he's shooting the free throw, and he misses. And they had a kid, Dean, that went to, um, I want to say, North Carolina State or Virginia. He was Harold Dean. Heralding, yeah. He comes Man. down, he charges, and then to keep from stepping on our player, steps over us and he hits a three. I went down and I put my fist through a wooden door that was about three inches thick, broke my hand. I broke my hand six times in 10 years at MCI, and that was the only one we lost. I broke it five times in wins in, in 10 years, but I, I just I thought, well, you know, I, I need to get out of here before we have a wreck, and I cause it by my insane behavior you know i'm certified and i know it you know i i I don't have any problem with it i i don't know that i'd let me coach one of my own kids so (laughs) you know i i can come to grips with that winning is an everyday mindset and we're here to help i'm craig robinson join me and coach john calipari for ways to win how do you play how do you work when you're not at your best. Coach Cal and I'll share some wisdom from our time coaching and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. You gotta win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, 
You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, so, uh, Billy said, so Billy convinced you, hey, you haven't had a wreck yet. Like, get out. Well, get- he didn't say it. He said, you know, you need to get out of there. Well, why? I loved MCI. I, I mean, I made the same amount of money the first year as I did and 10 years later. And they did a seven page story on us in Sports Illustrated was most flattering talking about how disciplined, how tough, how, you know, study halls, they weren't allowed to act up or act a fool. Or I'd walk around campus and step in the rooms. And I just, you know, I had an Airedale Terrier and Karan said, damn, that door would open. He'd step in and he'd say, oh, shit. And I'd I'd say, hey, if he gives you any trouble, you let me know. I got the answer for that. It's a four o'clock a.m. practice. And uh, and, you know, I I felt like Boss Cartwright. And what is it? Bonanza or whatever the show he was on. I was the head of my fiefdom. But I made the same amount of money 10 years later. I never got a raise. And I, I could care less about money. When I took over at LMU and 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 uh, UNLV, they called me in. They said, "What do you want to do about salary?" I said, "Hell, you can cut me ten thousand dollars." I didn't come here to be the head coach. Of course, my wife wasn't too happy about that, you know, because I threw a lot of money away. But I but I didn't care about that. But I went with Billy, and of course, he puts me in charge of fast break offense, defense, and discipline. Discipline. I said, now, Billy, I'm all I'm all too well to, you know, I'll be glad to do that. But, you know, that really should come from you. And Billy was the nicest guy. And he said, I know how I was when I was their age. And I just have a hard time justifying being this hard on them, knowing how I was at their age. And uh, but I, I, I love Billy Bano. And uh, he was a far better coach than people realize. But whoever heard of giving the assistant coach uh, from a prep school the, the discipline? Hey, yeah. let me tell you. Let, now listen to this story. Casper Scambala, who I think you remember, he looked like the damn Russian and Rocky. Yes. He said, Coach, I heard you're pretty tough. I said, Cass, I'm a fat old uh, white man. Old, old white man. He said, I'm not tough at all. I hear if you're tough and if you come, we will sooner or later, we will fight. I said, Cass, and then if that happens, you'll whip my ass. But understand this, sooner or later, you're going to fall asleep. And when you do, I'm going to jab an ice pick in one fucking ear and the point's going to come out the other. And you'll be eating with a drool cup and in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Well, Cass, they put that in ESPN, the magazine. Oh, he, shit. He, he told Mark Dickel, he said, Mark, this man crazy. He crazy. He said, I think he mean that. Well, we won one, one time. We, we won at uh, Colorado State. No, we lost at Colorado State. And then we went out and beat uh, Wyoming. And when we got back, Billy said, anybody, you know, we'd gather up before we got our stuff. Anybody got something to say? I said, yeah, I got something to say. And I threw my coat down. I said, I'd like to fight every one of you cocksuckers. I said, you bitch made punk ass. Yeah, and and uh, there was a Dave Callis was a, a cop there and some lady 
said she called special security. She said, there's some middle aged man. Well, God, I want to kiss her for saying middle aged is threatening to fight the UNLV team. He said, no, that's coach good. And he's justified. And I said, Cass, I want to start with you. You're the one I want first. Now we'll go through the whole team. Well, hell, I walked home from the airport to Thomas and Mac. I had two bags. I'm walking down over the hill with boulders and the bus transporting the players is they drive by and they're staring straight ahead. Well, I get there. Trevor Diggs came in and Dick on, they said, coach, I said, fellas, I shouldn't have said that. I was out of line. No, you weren't out of line. If you care that much, I guess we should start caring. And we won seven straight games and went to the NCAA after that. Now, I am not trying to make a connection between the two. Maybe if I'd have been a little more, you know, accepting earlier than that, we might have been on 15 wins in a row. But Billy came down and thanked me. He said, no, coach, you you should have done that. You should have done that. And I, he said, although it's a good thing we don't have tape on it, you'd get arrested. <laughs> Probably get arrested. But. So, so here's my here's my cast for Steamboat. By the way, Mark Dickel, uh, I had last weekend. I, I took my team to Vegas, but I had a game Saturday, Colorado State against who the hell they play, St. Mary's. So I had to actually fly to Denver, drive to Fort Collins, then flew back. So I would I would get to coach the kids in the morning and then fly. And our game, we we got our games moved the afternoon. So Mark Dickel actually coached for me. And, and you want to talk about the nicest guy ever. And my kids loved him anyway. So, but, but I told Dickel this story that my, the year before you got there, we're playing uh, Vegas. And as you point out, Kevin Simmons was super talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brian Keith was of course coaching the NBA. Yeah. Sean. Brian Marianne. coached with me. Brian coached with me at Brian. So, um, uh, and, so the game is it's a it's like five minutes to go and we're up double double figures it's a wrap and we're at the free throw line and Casper's like what are you getting into tonight and I was like what like I'd never never had a conversation with the opponent ever over like what we're doing after the game now it was December twenty third and we had had a miserable game at Creighton where we all you know I I wanted to transfer I didn't start the first half or the second half. And I had 15 assists and one turnover and coach still brought me out the bench. Cause I was in the doghouse. And anyway, so he's like, what did you, what are you guys getting into tonight? We're like, what, what are you talking about? Like we, we go out. Okay. We're going to the circle bar at the hard rock. Right. That's the only place we knew. So we met him out and we went out and we went and I, and I'd never seen a college basketball player drink that much. And, but he was, I mean, it was unbelievable. Like he was, he wanted, he wanted to kill everybody when he played and then he'd hang out with you after the game. And he did the same thing the next year when we beat you. It was like, we go out tonight. And we're like, this guy's unbelievable. I'll tell but, you, uh, I, I got, so much- like, I wasn't, if I got, if I got smoked on national TV, I ain't going out with anybody and hanging out with them, pretend like we like each other. No fucking way. <laughs> no, he, he said, coach, we play by the rules here. I said, Cass, the fact you're saying that tells me we don't. Now, get the fuck out of here. I don't want to hear all that bullshit. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I didn't look the other way, but I just didn't get involved in that any way, shape, or form. I, I, I can't stand that. If you got it, yeah, I just don't like it. And I'll tell you what, I got so much respect for Coach Sutton. 
I said, Andre Williams played for me at NCI, yeah. who went to Oklahoma State. And uh, I called Coach Sutton because the judge was the assistant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yes. The, yeah. the judge, for, for people who don't know, is Paul Graham. Yeah. Of course, went on to be the head coach at uh, Washington State, and he was a high school coach in Dallas. I think he retired this year or last year. Yeah, Paul's a gem. Anyway, go ahead. So you're talking to Paul or are you talking to Coach? He talks me into taking Andre Williams, and the guy that helped him was the guy that was helping the, the kids at Kansas. But anyway, so Andre comes, and Andre's blocking every damn shot. And I had Wesley Wilson on the team, a seven-foot kid that went to Georgetown and had a much bigger name. But Andre was much better player. I mean, he fit in way better with our players. And uh, yeah. but I called Paul Graham. I said, Paul, you underrated this fucker. I said, you need to close your door. I said, this motherfucker blocks everything that wiggles. He plays harder than shit. Can't shoot, but knows it and doesn't try to. I said, he will be a bitch for y'all. He no, just I couldn't, couldn't, see, couldn't see and he couldn't catch. Oh, exactly. And you know what? He had an SAT of like 1340 and a GPA of about 1.9. Yeah, really bright guy. Yeah, very, very bright. Too bright. But yeah. he, you know, he uh, he didn't do well in school and he didn't care about it, really. He just, you know, he wanted oh, he had, he had a re- And he had a really, really terrible upbringing, t- tough upbringing. Oh, but, but he was... He was the only this here's here's something no one's ever heard before. Okay. So we called him Andre Sutton. And the reason we called him Andre Sutton was that kid was a freshman. We had seven seniors and he could get away with shit. None of us could get away with it. We didn't understand it. Right. right. So it was so uh my senior year, I'm sure you remember Jimmy Williams. Oh um, another gem, right? So Paul leaves, gets the head coaching job at Washington State. And Andre comes in anyway. And Jimmy Williams, the, 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 the son of John Williams, right. is our assistant coach. And Jimmy's great. Now, Jimmy's not – Paul was more negative and would, would – he was the only guy – you know, he, they, the assistants would dog cuss the coach never cursed. And, and Jimmy was, you know, getting on to Andre. And Andre turned to him, clear as day, and said, Jimmy, suck my dick, motherfucker. And he's like, suck my dick. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, like, look, I've, I've done a lot of shit in my life. I have never, ever thought of telling a coach to suck my dick. Ever. Ever. <laughs> like, that, like there's, there's lots of gray area shit. That is way over the, like, and, we all, and you know, it's like one of those all of a sudden you could hear a pin drop in Gallagher Iver. We're like, what is coach going to do? And, and coach has made him go run the stairs. And we're like, then he came back into practice and we're like, we, we just like, what the, what did we just see? How did that, how did that happen? How did he, he just told a coach to suck his dick and all he had to do was run the steps. Like, dude, I want to do that. If I did that, I would be, I would, I would just pack your shit, go to California. We'll let you know if we need you. Right. That, and that was, it was unbelievable. So Dre, and I don't know, it was because of how tough his upbringing was or how hard, because we were hard on him too, because that fucker couldn't catch, but he could really play. Right. And, and, uh, that was, that was Andre Williams. And he, again, he was like, he was like coach's coach's other son. You know, he had Sean, Steve, Scott, and Andre. That's how we looked at him. Oh. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> that's that's oh, unreal. And he fucked uh, up hey, the Oklahoma. Andre. And he fucked up the Oklahoma game. We had a nine-point lead last game in Old Gallagher Iba, and coach puts him in for me because he thought they'd start fouling me because I couldn't shoot free throws. Like Andre can't shoot free throws, and Andre he dropped the ball like three times in a row, you know, and he just fucked up. But man, he could block some shots. And he could catch, and when, when he caught it, he could dunk. On he was he'd be great in the dunker. And if he worked on it, once he got once he got his eyes, I think he got uh, some new glasses because he had those when he came in. He had those Kareem goggles, and then he. And then he'd, he'd get mad at him and take him off, and he couldn't see anything. He was like Mr. Magoo. Um, uh, but once he got the eyesight thing, he was he was a hell of a player. He was I really, think. really. He comes to practice one morning. Of course, now, we had phones, two phones in the hallway. This is before cell phones. And if they rang after 1030, I told him those phones were off the hook. I lived in the dorm with them. I lived in the damn dorm with them, and other people were bitching about having to live in a dorm there, 27, 28. I said, hell, I'm 55, and I'm thriving on it. There's no way you could have coached those kids I had at MCI unless you were with them 24 hours. So the phone would ring after 1030. I'd, say, I'd just get in the hallway, and I'd say, 530, fellas, and we'd have a 530 a.m. practice. So he comes down to practice one day. And he's got blue jeans. He said his stuff was wet. His practice gear was wet. I said, motherfucker, we're playing tomorrow, and you're not playing unless you practice. He had boat or dop shoes on. He took his blue jeans. I pulled them up and pinned them and proceeded to block about six shots in a row. But Andre would come in my room, see. I'd cuss him in practice, but... And I'd cuss him in games, but then at night he'd come in my room because he'd have to be in bed at 1030. He'd come in there and about 11. I'd say, now, Andre, you get your long, goofy ass to fuck up and get out of here. You ain't staying in here. He, he was just trying to stay up. See, he was finding a way to beat. Like a little kid. Uh, like a little and, kid and I loved him. You know, he was like a hound dog. You didn't know whether to scratch him behind his ears or kick him in his ass. <laughs> but, you know, he, he was he started one time to say something back to me because I went on a dialogue or a, a monologue. It wasn't a dialogue for about a minute and a half. He got ready to say something back. Karam Butler reached around him and cupped his hand over his mouth. And, and you know, so he wouldn't say anything. And uh, see, Karan had great leadership. And his story's incredible. You know, he was arrested 15 times by the time he's 15 years old. Yeah. Selling and drugs and everything, right? Uh, oh, well, he wasn't on them, but he sold them. Yeah. He got caught with a Magnum 357 and, you know, a bunch of cocaine and $20,000 in his pocket. There was a cop there in, in Racine that really liked him because he was uh, amazingly honest and open. He and, and I, I, when he called, he called me three times and never called collect. And that was very unusual. And I snuck him into MCI. If they'd known his true past, they wouldn't have let him in. And I told, I told the admissions person, I said, I'll take the heat for this. Well, I knew they weren't getting rid of me. We'd won 290 games and lost 25. So what, what, what was, what was Karan like? How did you, how did, how did he straighten it out? Cause now he's, you know, coaching. He's one of the most respected former players in the NBA. Hey, like you say, you know, tough juice and you're never good. had a problem. Not one problem with him. Now, listen, I pick him up at the airport. I said, are you Butler? And he said, yeah. I said, how many bags you got, boy? He said, four. I said, good. That'll take you two trips. And I went back out on the van. Well, he comes out. He takes two trips. I didn't offer to help him. 
he starts to get in the front seat, and I got an Airedale Terrier named Gentry. I named him after Steve Gentry, who was an unbelievable defender at Xavier. He, who's the kid that played at Indiana, the left-hand kid, 6'7"? Ryan Evans? No, no, he was a oh. black kid. He was oh, really. Oh, 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 wait, wait. He played. He played for my dad from from Miami. Uh, I think he made Miller. He, Charlie Miller. Charlie Miller. No, no. Charlie Miller went to. Uh, he was from Miami, but I think he played at Kentucky. No, Charlie Miller. Went no, no. Charlie Miller was from Maysville, Kentucky. They did have a kid, Charlie Miller, from Maysville. That's why Tom loved to call me. Tom Consalci would call me. We'd talk for two hours because I was the only guy that he could talk to about the Ricketts boys and, and uh, Cy Hugo Green at uh, Duquesne, you know, because I was such a nerd. And, you know, I can't remember my own name. I had a bitch of a time getting in this thing today. I, in fact, I couldn't have. If my wife hadn't been here, I wouldn't be in it. And probably you're thinking, well, I wish she hadn't got you in it. But, but. No, this is, this is, this is amazing. Hey, uh, so we we go down. Hey, Calvert Cheney, Calvert Cheney, Calvert Cheney. At Steve Evansville, Gentry Evansville, held him. Indiana. That's where Steve from. Gentry held him to three for nineteen, and Bobby Knight told him he's the best defender he ever he ever had seen. He uh, the coach at Santa Herb Sundak goes to Miami, and he calls me. Said, "If you've got any more Steve Gentrys, I want all of them." He said he took three charges in the backcourt zigzagging. You know, people, he was so good and tough defensively. But anyway, so Karan comes and he gets in the back seat and we're driving. He sees uh, there's a Wendy's and uh, he says it's a McDonald's. I got into a, a nice event last year and he came all the way from California to present me. He told the story. And uh, in case anybody thinks it's apocryphal or if it isn't the truth, he says, uh, I said, are you hungry, boy? And everybody's dropping their head because, you know, I call black kids boy all the time. It's a B-O-I, boy. You know, and hell, they, 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 not one of them has ever said a thing about it. And the more I cuss them out, the more they respect it and like it. But anyway, I said, I'm not talking to you, motherfucker. I'm talking to my dog. And I didn't feed him. I didn't feed him. We get to MCI. And we're driving down. He said, doesn't look like there's much to do here. We flew into Bangor, Maine. All he can see is the silhouette of the pine trees in the dark. He said, doesn't seem like there's much to do. I pulled that van over. I said, motherfucker, you want to go back to Racine where you had everything in the world to do and got absolutely nothing done? No, no. I said, well, shut the fuck up. We get there and we call a practice for 1130 at night. I get him out of the dorm. I ran the dorm and he said, why are we practicing tonight? I said, because if I don't like the way you play, your ass is going right back to Racine tomorrow morning. I'll have you on the first flight, uh, the first thing smoking out of here tomorrow morning. Well, needless to say, he, he was pretty good. He was really good. But, <laughs> and very much a team player. Very much a team. No, you don't. You, listen, you don't have to sell me on Quran, the, the players. It's really amazing. Like he's, yeah. he's a remarkable story and a remarkable guy who does not fit any bill for what you would think considering what his background was before that moment uh, before he's, he very got him. he's very decent you know i think in his heart he's he's thinking about running for governor someday of wisconsin he told me boogie he was with boogie cousins in sacramento he was kind of brought in to you know to kind of mentor him he yeah. called me he said coach he's too much for me he needed you 
Because, see, I threaten to fight them. They're not going to fight me, goddamn. You threaten to fight the whole team, they're not going to do it. Although a couple of times I think they kind of thought about it. But, uh, no, he said, Boogie Cousins, he said he needed you badly. But, anyway, I, I go to UNLV with Billy, and then I, I've been all over hell since then. I've never applied for any job I've ever gotten. Every job I've gotten, they've reached out to me. Now, I end up in Pratt Junior College in Pratt, Kansas, and uh, Brad Miller on a podcast a couple weeks ago. He said, oh, no, Coach Good's coaching at some NAIA Division II junior college, and who in the hell knows? He just likes to coach. He doesn't care about money. He, just like, he, he said what he likes to do is get somewhere where he can cuss people out. And they said, well, we have to get him on the podcast. He said, oh, no, 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 no. You couldn't have him on the podcast. <laughs> he said, he calls me a couple weeks ago at 3.30 in the morning, and I heard him say, I pick up the phone. He said, I told you to answer. I told you this crazy son bitch to answer. I said, what the fuck do you want? He said, coach, I want you to know I didn't like you very much when I was at MCI. I said, well, good, because I didn't like your ass at all. And then he said, but I did want to tell you this. I don't think I'd have played at Purdue, and I know I wouldn't have played in the NBA if I hadn't spent that year at MCI. I said, good. If you got a sports writer there, wherever you are, good. Call that motherfucker and tell him I'm going back to bed and I'm going to phone up. And I don't even sleep at night. I don't even sleep at night. I'm up. I got serious issues. If you haven't figured that out already. But. But I love Brad Miller. God damn, he looks like Chris Stapleton now. He's got hair half the way down his back. And he got, hey, during the All-Star break, he comes to a game at UNLV. And I had him talk to our team after the game. And he starts, does he get mad and spit all over you? Has he broke his hand yet and sling blood all over you? I said, Brad, 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 no. I want you to come in here and talk about the virtue of hard work and this fuck hard work. He said, they tried to get me to come in this summer and work. I went in there one day and made 26 out of 33s. He said, get those non-shooting guards ass in here and teach them how to shoot. I don't need this yet. Oh, he was as stubborn, stubborn. But you talk about a guy that had basketball IQ. He was a six, one guard in Indiana grew to be six, nine between his sophomore and junior year. But, uh, oh, I love Brad Miller. Now, he was tough, a pain in the ass. But. Tougher, tougher than hell, too. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. I had him, and, him, and, him and Brian Cardinal, those, those two guys. Oh, yeah. I mean. Hey, I had Chad Austin. And Chad Austin said they'd play Michigan. And who was it? Tractor truck trailer would come out there. Yeah. And he'd start talking smack. They'd be on Purdue's side of midcourt stretching, you know, just to get in their way. Cardinal said, hey, fat boy, get your ass to fuck across that line. And he said, I'm going to kill you tonight. He said, you big stupid fucker. He said, I'll take three charges on you before halftime. You won't get shit done. And sure enough, he did. That it would happen. He's talked more shit to these, you know, multi-talented players. But taking charges and being tough, those are skills. Coachability is a skill. There's nothing worse than a talented player without toughness. To me, they're useless. Useless. I don't think you can win with them. I don't no. think you can win, win with them. And you just get frustrated trying, thinking, well, sooner or later, they're going to figure this out. Sometimes they do, but most of the time they don't because everybody's kissed their ass from their inception period. The first time they made a right and left-hand layup, everybody's, you know, sucking their dick and telling them how wonderful they are. 
Correct. But it couldn't have said any better. Well, um, I want to do this. I want to do this again. I want to end. This is part one. Can I call you? We do it again one morning next week. Oh, that's fine. If you're hey, if you're people that follow you, don't call in and say, don't have that stupid, ignorant hillbilly back on here. <laughs> I, I wear my shit with with honor. I, I no, the type of, these are all our type of people that are driving around. I can't tell you how many assistant coaches I have that they're out recruiting and they listen to the pod and they just, this is what they want. They want stories. They want basketball guys. Well, I was on zoom once with Arnold. He was at St. Joe's and they had like 20 coaches on there. I'll tell you who I'm really close with this. Uh, you know, Mike Procopio, he worked with uh, Dallas. He was yeah. at work with Dallas. I know him. I, I don't, I don't know him. I know of him. You ought to get him on. You talk about crazy. I get down to watch Dallas play one night and you're going to have to cut me off because I'll keep talking even when you disappear. I get down there and Dirk Nowitzki comes over. He said, hey, pro. They called him pro for Procope. He said, I bet I can hit 10 threes in a row from this corner. He said, I don't give a fuck if you make a thousand in a row. You can't run up and down the floor three times without your knees buckling and you breaking your leg. He said, they got to time you with a fucking egg timer. Well, then Berea comes over. He said, pro, I bet I can Swiss five in a row. He said, hey, midget. The fucking midget leaks three doors down. That's how, <laughs> sweets, that's how sweets talk to him. Yeah. Uh, oh, God damn. I love him. He's crazy. Almost everybody I associate with is crazy. Well, then I would like to associate with you. That's that's <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what people I had. Uh, I'll tell you a story real quick. So uh, last. So, so I'm coaching last year and I get my COVID vaccine. And we're playing a team. <laughs> I had, they were seventh graders at the time. And there's one team that we just couldn't fucking beat. Our kids just got so mental against them. And we're leading the whole game. And then, you know, we take a couple bad shots. It's like six and like bang, bang, two no calls went on our end. And at the other end is like touch fouls. And uh, it gets to 10. And then we turn it over and gets to 13. And I just lose my shit on this official because, you know, it's like AAU tournament. The guy's not making a past half court and it's literally two different games. You know, that's the frustrating. Like at one end it's tightly officiated. You know, when, uh, when we're on defense and we're playing, man, they're playing zone. Why the fuck you're teaching 13 year olds <laughs> play zone. I'm not sure. All right. They're playing zone. And well, it shouldn't be, should, right. should be a lot. That's terrible. Of course. Such a disservice. So, so, so anyway, so, I turn, I turn, and I just motherfucked. Are you fucking kidding me? You're gonna call that fucking value? You didn't make it past fucking half fucking court. Right. Am I asking that much for twenty five dollars a game? You should get your fucking ass past half court, and at least fake it, fake right. it for these kids, right? So, but part of it is I had that vaccine the night before, the day before, and I couldn't sleep. I had a searing headache, and I just lost my shit. And I motherfucked this guy up and down. He calls two technical fouls, whatever, and then I refused to. You know, you get a technical foul, you're supposed to sit down and go, I'm not fucking sitting down. Right. Right. So we get done with the game and I go up to the guy and I go, look, man, I apologize. I just lost my shit. You know, we, we haven't beaten this team. We should have beaten them. I didn't think they were two particularly good calls, but it's like, we're all the same, right? We like in the moment we're crazy as fuck. And we, we have a point that we're trying to make and it's the right point. Just we, you got to have that crazy dream. And I think some of that crazy gene is really good. 
in, in, in sports. One, gyms are loud. Two, you got to break through to the kids. The kids, you say pretty, please, pretty, please. They just don't do it. They just don't. There's no, yeah. no one's ever done that where you go, hey, please, pretty, please. Right. So, um, so I, I completely understand the idea of being seen as crazy. You're not crazy, but you got that crazy gene that, or that switch that you'll flip that'll be crazy every once in a while. Billy Hahn, Billy Hahn always says every coach and after a certain amount of dribbles, and it varies from coach to coach, they totally lose their mind. He said, I just want you to know for you, it was long to fuck ago. <laughs> I said, you're a good one to talk. And see, I never got on officials. Now, this is going to be my last story. I'm going to okay. take myself off. Okay. I got I got Katina Mobley, who was a still playing his ass off in that big three league. Yep. Yeah. Well, he plays, he comes down. I never got on officials at MCI. They already thought they weren't capable of making a mistake. They had no ability to be critical of themselves. So he comes down and they call a walk. Well, he puts the ball on his hip and does a 360 and lands on his feet. I said, no, 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 motherfucker. Get the fuck out of my game. I said, you don't want to be a basketball player. You want to be a thespian. So after the game, he said, coach, you can call me all the cocksuckers and motherfuckers you want. I ain't no fucking lesbian. <laughs> I, I, hey. Oh, hey, and Katina will tell you that. <laughs> hey, and with that, I'll sign. I hope you're still on the air tomorrow. We'll still we'll 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 still be on the air. Back to the best. We'll do part two soon. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, if you thought that was not safe for work, there were some things that were edited out, <laughs> right? Um, but generally, that's an unedited form of of Max Good. That's part one. He's promised to join me. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. He's promised to join me for part two. We'll have Steve Lapis. If you didn't listen to part one, that was awesome. We'll have Steve Lapis part two next week. I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you listening. Remember to download, subscribe, rate, write a review. All those things help us out, help us get you better content. And I think it'll make me a little bit more money. In the meantime, enjoy the hoops. Good ones this weekend. Uh, we'll talk some Lakers, why they're a mess. Uh, we'll try and put together the real tiers in college basketball. Some of the storylines, like I want to talk about why the Pac-12, I believe, starts off so far down this year, but will end up being just fine, although it won't be judged as such once they get to March. We'll get to all that in an upcoming episode. In the meantime, my thanks to Max Good and for you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. I sure did. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Winning is an everyday mindset, and we're here to help. I'm Craig Robinson. Join me and Coach John Calipari for Ways to Win. How do you play? How do you work when you're not at your best? Coach Cal and I will share some wisdom from our time coaching, and we'll apply that wisdom to your off-court challenges. you got to win every day. Find the Ways to Win podcast anywhere you listen. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. 
Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love at First Listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 